control cycle or stronghold. And um, <clears throat> I'm going to do it different than I did it in first service because I don't think I, I got to the point enough in first service. So I'm just going to skip a whole bunch of the stuff in the beginning and spend more time on the main point. Um, and this is more of a teaching rather than preaching. So I just want to share a, um, uh, a, um, a healing and restoration uh, topic or issue that we've found as being really central in almost everyone's life and just about everyone and I actually would say everyone has this dynamic going on in them. It's a shame, fear, control cycle and it's, it's a response as well as a reaction to uh, issues within our lives that shape how we respond to others and so it affects our interpersonal relationships as well as our intrapersonal, which is, in other words, how you relate to yourself as well as how you relate to one another uh, because it's so powerful. Oops. And uh, so the shame-fear control cycle starts off with shame. And the way we're describe, uh, uh, defining shame is a sense of being uniquely and hopelessly flawed. It leaves a person feeling different and less valuable than other human beings. Shame is self-oriented. There is something wrong with me. And so shame is a very, very, very powerful emotion. It actually uh, can go beyond an emotion in, to a belief. Okay, And that's, that's what we want to zero in and talk about today. Shame is different than guilt. Guilt is actually a healthy feeling or a healthy uh, um, uh, thing because guilt is knowing that you've done something wrong. It tells us we made a mistake. Guilt is action-oriented. Uh, I did something wrong. So it's, you identify that a behavior you've done is, is destructive or, or improper. And so you can you can change that behavior. But shame uh, kind of broadens that or applies that wrongness not to something you've done, but who you are. Mm -hmm. And so it becomes how you see yourself or how you um, think of yourself. And uh, that is not the way God intends you to live. And uh, because of the cross... We are no longer to be under shame. Uh, God's uh, redeemed us from the curse through the blood of Jesus and promised us a shame-free life. But those truths need to be applied uh, to the individual issues and experiences and thought patterns of our life in order for you to live the freedom that Christ obtained for you. Okay? <clears throat> so Jesus can pay the price. It's kind of like uh, God... Uh, it's kind of like, uh, you know, if you had a rich uncle that died and left you a million dollar or a billion dollar inheritance, but you didn't know about it, it wouldn't change your life. Okay? Or if you didn't believe it, and you didn't go take the money out of the bank and start spending it, it wouldn't change your life. And so God's uh, given all of this to us, and we need to learn how, how to apply it, how to implement it. And that's what we're talking about today. And this is the introduction. I'm going to uh, talk more about it in two weeks when I have the second part of this message. This picture here is just a picture of a stone wall. But there's a scripture in Peter that says that <clears throat> we are living stones being built together as a spiritual house to offer up uh, uh, spiritual sacrifices to God. And so the image of uh, living stones being 
put together, uh, being fashioned after Christ, our chief cornerstone, who was rejected by men, but chosen by God. And so, we're put together in a, a community, in a congregation. This, this image can, can fit in, in any setting, in a family. But as individual stones, we rest upon one another, okay? And each stone has unique attributes or uh, uh and actually flaws you know if if you will or shapes and and how we rest upon one another affects the whole wall all right and if if a stone here has a crack and breaks it's going to weaken the integrity of the whole wall all right and so uh, and cracks develop uh, in, in the natural, you know, you have a crack, moisture gets down in there, it freezes, it breaks open, and it weakens the wall. But a weakness in one stone, and just borrowing that image from Scripture, uh, we are living stones in this house called the temple of God. And so weaknesses within us, hidden cracks and crevices within our character, within our spirit, uh, within our soul, within our mind, opens up opportunities for uh, uh, breakdown that then affect the people around us. Okay, so <clears throat> if if this stone broke off, then this stone and this stone, all these above, wouldn't be able to carry as much weight. They'd feel the pressure of that, and so that picture is a great image of how we relate together and how. Issues in the, that are dealt with in healing and restoration, issues like shame, issues like fear, issues like control, issues like uh, um, sin in our life, affect those around us. And even if someone doesn't know, the rest of the people don't know you're going through something, it still has an effect on everyone. Because we're a house, we're, jointly, we're joined together fit together, you know. And so, uh, if you're struggling with something, it can affect the other people in your spiritual community. It affects the other people in your family. Uh, and, and acknowledging that and understanding that um, causes us to see the importance of dealing with these issues so that we can find freedom. Okay, I'm going to skip through all this. Alright, <clears throat> so the origin of the shame-fear-control cycle is actually found in Genesis. And it's a story of Adam and Eve after the fall. And we're going to read through this. This is their experience after uh, Eve was deceived and ate of the fruit and Adam sinned by also eating of the fruit. It says, as soon as they ate of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it says, at that moment their eyes were open. And they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. It's interesting that the like the initial uh, response or what they felt it was shame. It's like came in, and they, they had never experienced that before. And all of a sudden, wow, shame came in. And <clears throat> so they sewed. Fig leaves. They, they tried to fix the problem. They tried to cover it up. They sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. But then when the cool of the evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord walking about in the garden. So God showed up in the garden and they heard Him. And they hid from the Lord among the trees. And then the Lord called out to the man, Where are you? 
So the initial response of sin is shame, the feeling of shame. And the response to that, the reaction to that, is to hide. All right, uh, because of those feelings of shame, they want to. Co- they want to. They tried to cover themselves, and then they, God was there, and so they tried to hide from God. <clears throat> but God was uh, relentless. <laughs> this is something about God. Yeah. God is relentless. What do I mean by that? God will not stop chasing down the stuff in your life. Right? Because He loves you. Yeah. He wants to set you free. And so, where there's shame, where there's fear and hiding, He's going he's he's gonna, to he's gonna go there. All right? um, Adam replied, I heard you walking in the garden, and so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. And so here, fear and shame are linked right in the initial experience of sin. Now, let me just suggest to you that this whole story is in the Bible so that we can understand how we react or respond to sin. All right? Yes, it's historically true. It's an accurate depiction of what really happened, whenever it really happened. But more than that, it's written for our edification so we can understand how it all works. Okay? And there's tons packed into this that God wants uh, to communicate to us to know how what happens when we sin and how to respond to it. So there's fear. Uh, and God says, well, who told you you were naked? Uh, the Lord asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? You know, when God asks you a question, He already knows the answer. <laughs> All right, And so, He's asking, when God asks questions, or there's questions that you're asking God, you know, there's there's a reason for that. It's to cause you to dig deeper in your, into yourself to find out what's really going on here. And so God asks, Have you eaten of the tree that I commanded you not to eat? Have you broken one of the commands? Have you, and, and ultimately what that is is a violation of trust. Okay? So if you break a command, and again, uh, you always have to kind, to, uh, kind of um, help people see that it's not, oh, you just broke a rule and then there's punishment. All right? It's, you know, it's, it's much more deeper than that. All right? They broke the trust that God uh, established between, you know, Adam and Eve and Him. All right? Don't do this. And, and by, by obeying, that's, that's demonstrating trust and respect. But by disobeying, it's demonstrating distrust, really. All right? And disrespect. And they did it uh, in spite of what God had told them. So it was a breakdown of relationship. And so the man replied, It was the woman you gave me. A lot of people say he blamed the woman, but actually he blamed God. (laughs) It's the woman you gave me. And um, you know what? As a pastor for over 25 years, uh, and just as a Christian, I see people blaming God constantly. You know, people people wouldn't say they're blaming God, but really, it's you know this happened because God allowed it. You know, people are angry with God. People are mad at God, and and really, what they're mad about is the consequence of sin in their life, or uh, the consequences of of the result of sin that maybe they didn't even commit. All right, which produces shame. 
which induces fear, which leads a person to try to take control, right? which is what we're talking about. So he says, it's the woman. He said, he's taking control here and saying, it's not my fault. That's, that's where the fault is. <clears throat> and it's really your fault because you gave, them to, you gave them to me. Then the Lord asked the woman, okay. And so the woman follows her husband's example <laughs> and tries to blame it on somebody else. It's the serpent. The serpent deceived me. Uh, she was actually telling the truth, but she was trying to get out of it, uh, out of uh, responsibility. So in this story, we see the whole dynamic of, of shame, they experienced shame, they were then afraid, and, and as a result of the fear, out of the fear, they tried to control the situation by hiding and by blame shifting. Okay, hiding and blame shifting, and those same dynamics, those same things happen in every one of your lives, including mine, and mine just as much as yours. Okay, um, and I wish I could tell you as soon as you accepted Jesus as Lord, none of that stuff would happen again. But the truth is, accepting Jesus Christ as Lord gives you a shepherd to walk you through the valley of the shadow of death, to bring you to the place where you can have victory over uh, all of these things, where you, that He is Lord, so you yield control to Him. You're not afraid because He's with you. All right? And you're not ashamed because He's taken the shame. All right? So that's the gospel. But walking that out. <clears throat> and so I'd like you to get familiar with this little diagram and this is from uh, the Kilstras, the Restoring the Foundations Ministry. And uh, they came across this, and it really, really helps. Anyone in counseling ministry, healing ministries ministry, sees this underneath uh, so many different uh, lifestyle patterns that are destructive. Because you have shame that leads to fear. Uh, that leads to control. The control then actually reinforces the shame, which leads to fear, which leads to control. And so there's this cycle that repeats and repeats. And the shame <clears throat> is where you identify yourself. These are, these are lies that enable the strong, shame, fear, control stronghold. And so how many know that if you believe a lie, it's not going to be productive in your life? <laughs> okay, um, and so believing lies actually cause so many problems. But sometimes these lies are are, are tricky, okay, because it's they they're built on 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 facts, but they're not truth, okay. And so, <clears throat> so when we believe the lie, I am a mistake. Uh, it's, it's a huge difference than maybe a fact that you made a mistake. Okay? Or maybe your parents made a mistake. You may, what do I mean by that? I mean, they had sex outside of marriage, or maybe, you know, there's a lot of people today that have never even met their father. You know? Like, a large percentage of people, almost 50% of children under a certain age, and that age is somewhere in the 20s, have virtually no relationship. Some have never met their father. And so, you know, maybe they were raised, and they, well, it was a mistake. I shouldn't have had that relationship. And so, oh, you think, well, then I'm a mistake. If my origin is a mistake. Oh, and that's not true. You're not a mistake. 
Uh, as an individual, as a person, God created you. Yeah, maybe the, the circumstances you know, that surrounded your conception were not ideal, and they were in error, but the moment you were created, God loved you. And you are an eternal being that He has nothing but the best for you. All right? And so the lie of, of I'm a mistake is, induces shame, or I'm flawed, or I'm bad. Um, and then it leads to fear, because the fear is, uh, if, if people find out who I really am, they'll reject me. Okay? And, and so there's a, most people walk around to different degrees. You know, some people uh, are overcome by this. Some people are able to manage it more. And that actually leads to the control. Right? Because a lot of people that think this is not a problem in their life, actually it's a huge problem. They're just in really good at control. Alright? I'm really good at control. Alright? <laughs> and so... I understand this dynamic that I can have emotional stuff going on, but I can maintain incredible control. All right? And so I can say, well, this stuff doesn't bother me, but it's not true. It does bother me. I'll show you just an example that I kinda, God led me on a journey to discover. This was quite a few years ago. When I was a boy, um, my best friend, I lived out in the country, <clears throat> which was wonderful, but I only had one neighbor. Uh, there was two houses within like a mile or two. And thankfully, one of those houses had a kid my age. <laughs> and so him and, him and I became good friends as ch- children. And, um, and my older brothers were all real close in age, and I was a few years younger. And so they all played together, and they basically picked on me. <laughs> Which, uh, yeah... One of them broke down in tears, apologizing years ago after after he was an adult. Yeah, and I was like, really? I didn't even remember it was that bad. But <laughs> he was he carried shame about it for years, and as a grown man, came and wept and asked my forgiveness. And I was like, no problem, man. I love you. Uh, what this is my story. <clears throat> um, so this guy's name is Marky. E. <clears throat> he uh, his family moved when we were probably I was probably. 12 or 13. And so the kid I'd rode bicycles with, played army with, explored, you know, made plans, built tree houses, got in trouble, you know, uh, with, uh, oh, we used to get in, he used to get in trouble a lot. <laughs> uh, all of a sudden was leaving and I realized I had to, uh, I was dealing with this and, and my parents, and my siblings knew that it was going to be a big deal because I was losing my best friend. And, and I remember them kind of saying, well, it's not going to be that bad. Don't worry about it. And, you know, and, and this guy's, uh, their family was poorer than us. And so their house was always kind of uh, ramshackled. And there was always, his dad was a gearhead. And so there was always broken down cars that he was working on. Um, and so there was this... You know, we, my parents were business owners, and, and so there was kind of a weird kind of dynamic there. And uh, so the idea was planted, you know, it's going to be better that he goes anyway. Mm. You know, it's better. It's about, you know. And I, somehow as a child, I remember thinking, I, actually, I, I didn't realize it as a child, but I, I, I realized later, I, I felt as though I had to choose between my family or my loyalty to Marky. And so if I got too sad about Marky leaving, it actually, my, 
parents and my siblings unintentionally present it in a case that that would mean that I didn't love them as much. Mm-hmm. Right? And that wasn't true, and that probably wasn't their intention, but that's how I processed it as a kid. And so I remember one day near the end when he, before he moved that I said something like, well, I'm glad you're moving because of whatever. You know? Uh, and I knew it hurt him. And, uh, but that was my immature way of dealing with the disappointment. All right? And so he moved away. And then I was alone for quite a few years. And then I totally forgot about all this. But something was planted in me and that I felt I was not a good friend. Okay? And God revealed this one day while I was in this room alone doing a prayer time. Uh, and God showed me how, you know, this thing that I am not a good friend was linked to something I had forgotten. It was linked to when I told my best friend that I was glad he was moving. And that I had to forgive myself, I had to forgive my siblings and my parents for setting it up that way. Alright? And I had to renounce the lie that I'm not a good friend. Because the truth is, if I'm your friend, you've never had a better friend. And I can say that whole, I can say that with total confidence. Like I'm blown away at how faithful I am, you know. And that's not pride. It's like if if a, if our relationship ends, it's probably because you will leave. Because I just don't leave. You can't get rid of me. <laughs> I'm still here. You can stop showing up, but I'm still here. <laughs> All right. Uh, and so that shame issue was driving an identity. I'm not a good friend, which actually led to me having fear about friendships, which led to me establishing control in that I only let myself go so far, you know, or I, only, I controlled how intimate I allowed, how much intimacy I allowed, because I, I knew I would let people down when it wasn't even true, okay? So it was a, it was a lie. And so that's just something in, in, in my life to, to kind of uh, show how this dynamic can work. <clears throat> and wherever you have control, there is fear and there's shame. All right? When, uh, I'm not talking about self-control where, where you're in uh, the godly, uh, the fruit of the Spirit that, um, that the, the character of God and the Spirit of God is exerting control over self, will, and self, you know... Uh, uh, in a negative sense. Adam and Eve lacked. Yeah, Adam and Eve lacked self-control, uh, but control in 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 limiting access, control in in creating spin, if you will. <clears throat> and some people will go, "Well, I don't do that. I, I'm not. In, I don't control people." And I would say, "Yeah, you do. <laughs> you just don't realize it." All right. Uh, <clears throat> and it's not. I'm not saying this to give you an accusation. Uh, the ultimate aim is to, is to help you understand the cycle so that you can have freedom. And so how, how does a person ex, uh, um, practice control? Well, every time you choose what you share with someone or what you don't share is actually control. All right? So if I choose not to reveal things that I'm thinking or feelings to my spouse who I should be in the closest form of intimacy with, I'm actually controlling. 
the situation. Or if I choose to say something to this person but not to that person, I'm actually, I'm actually controlling. And it's a very easy step to move from, from a, a healthy uh, decision of who I'm going to say to what based on healthy, appropriate boundaries to manipulation. And if it's if it's done in a way so that you're not exposed, then there's fear. And what we see is people are unwilling to admit things that are really obvious to a counselor or to a prayer minister because they're afraid. They 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 can't say this. Well, this person keeps hurting me, and they're doing this. And well, have you talked to them? No, I could never do that. They would never understand. That would make it all the worse. Well, actually, no. That's what you have to do. No, I can't. You know. Well, that's control. All right. And, and so what people people learn, and, and and our whole lives are built on structures of control. Uh, of limiting access, presenting yourself, and I'm going to go into greater depth in this asp- in this part of it in, in my next talk in two weeks. <clears throat> we present ourselves in different ways to different people as a means of controlling because we are afraid of revealing too much and and losing control. You know? But if you come to the place where, you know what, I'm not in control. I have yielded lordship to Jesus. I don't have to hide. All right. It it changes the dynamic of everything. All right. Um, I'm going to jump to the next slide because I want to kind of go into a little more depth here. Uh, I'm going to wait a few minutes on that, Doug, but you can stay there if you want. What we see here is uh, how this shame-fear-control cycle then gets connected to a lot of other emotional, spiritual issues. Okay? And so this is just an example of abandonment. Abandonment then uh, creates shame. Here's another example from my life. Um, My parents were divorced. And so that was really an abandonment because my mom took my younger sister and left. Now, I did see them, obviously, and I've still stayed in a relationship. But emotionally, when I was a young boy during that season, there was an abandonment issue uh, um, that, that fed into shame. And a lot of children of divorce have this saying that I'm a child of divorce. Or I'm the divorced one. Or I'm the raped one. You know, or I'm fill in the blank. Um, and then that, because of that shame, leads to a response of fear in that if people find out that, you know, uh, my, I, I'm broken. Now, it's not just that you came from a divorced family, because that's kind of normal, but that inner fear that I am rejected, I'm not worthy. Uh, I heard, had somebody today was talking about someone they knew, that they, uh, a friend that they felt, their friend felt that they were never worthy of something good because of their past. Well, that's fear based on shame, which then leads to control. There's lots of different things that you can, uh, you can, a proud person can be exerting control. Uh, it can open up the door to occult practices. It can open up the door to unbelief that you want to control by not believing things that are true. Okay? Whether it be faith issues or something someone tells you. Uh, you know, I'm not going to believe that. Well, you're not believing it because you're trying to stay in control. And this is, you know, some people can't believe that you love them. 
Because that would mean being forced to open up intimacy. Is that making any sense? So abandonment can go directly to fear and it can open up uh, rejection issues. So there's other things that can work, but they all feed into this shame-fear control. And so you have this as like a spinning vortex of emotion and motivation within a person uh, that all flows out of uh, an inner wound, something that happened usually in childhood, but it can happen at any time that can spark these these feelings and these responses. Healing and restoration is the process where you go, Father, I see these things. I see anger. I see pride. I see unbelief. I see control. Where is it coming from? And he shows, oh, when you were 12, you said to your friend, I'm glad you're moving out of my life. I don't need you anymore. And it wasn't true. Or, oh, when you were just a year or two older, your mom left and you were home alone and you were scared. Oh, all right? And we all have stuff like that. So just close your eyes. You can do your thing. So, Father, we just come to you in Jesus' name. And we believe, Lord, that on the cross you paid the price for every sin for every mistake, both our own and others. Father, we believe the promise that those who confess faith in You shall not have shame. But Lord, we need that worked into us. Father, I just pray for everyone here. If there's an area of shame, if there's an area of fear, if there's an area of control that... As I've talked, it's been highlighted in your spirit and your mind. You know, what you need to do is ask Jesus into that situation, into that feeling. Don't do what Adam and Eve did and hide. Rather, call out. Take the shame and give it to the Father. Let Jesus wash you of it so that you can live without fear, so He can be Lord of your life. You know, if there's an area in your life right now, just just hand it over. You know, if you just visualize yourself doing it, it can, it can make your spirit and your mind open to doing it. And maybe you need to get an appointment with a prayer counselor or, or, or take some time and pray through. But you just take those issues to the Lord in prayer. And you say, Father, heal me of this. Remove this from me. Set me free. And if you've never accepted Jesus as Lord, that's the ultimate of yielding control. Is where you lay down the rights your own life and you say Lord you're in charge you're master I'm servant and if you've never done that or if you've done that but you haven't been living it you can reaffirm that this morning or if it's the first time you can say this morning uh, that you give your life to Jesus that he's Lord of your life and as master as shepherd 
He wants to lead you beside still waters and make you lay down in green pastures. He wants you to feel refreshed. He wants you to know love. Uh God's done everything that's necessary to free you from every form of shame, every form of fear. All you have to do is receive it. And so we have our prayer team that's available up here on the this side of the stage, my right, <clears throat> your left. And they can pray. If you need to make that commitment to the Lord Jesus, they will lead you in a prayer. And uh, uh, you'll know for certain that uh, uh, you're right with God or, or made that recommitment. Or if there's an issue in your life that you want to receive prayer for, they can agree with you in that. On this side of the stage, it will be a prophetic team, and there are people just trained to hear God's voice, and they can pray over you. They only minister to one or two each service, um, and they can uh, uh, share with you what they feel God would say to you. Uh, So uh, be sure to come back in two weeks. Obviously, be here next week. (laughs) Uh, Kathy Spaulding is going to be sharing on forgiveness as a powerful uh, testimony of forgiveness in her own life. And then in two weeks, I'll be here uh, kind of taking this to the next level. Otherwise, stand up. Greet one another. God bless you. You are dismissed. Don't forget, we have the serve sign up in the back. And we're going to play the video uh, right now. So as you're dismissed, you can uh, remember about all of that. Uh, We need all those places filled up so that we can keep doing church for the next year. It's all up to you, folks. God bless you. You are dismissed. Hey. At New Day Community Church, we ask everyone to be involved. And you can get involved by signing up for one of the serve responsibilities.